You are listening to the Content Academy podcast where we teach online businesses how to create raving fans with their content. So let's get to it. Hey guys and welcome to the Content Academy podcast. My name is Paul Caffrey. I am joined by Phil McGrath and today we're going to be interviewing the lady hustler Katie Corcoran. Phil, what's going on? How are you? I am fantastic, man. I don't know. As I said in the show, I don't know if it's the mood I'm in, what's going on with me, but I had great fun on this one, and I'm I'm in a fantastic mood today. I don't know why, but uh, yeah, I'm having good fun. Well, look, that's good news for everybody all around, really. <laughs> you know, nothing worse than a cranky Phil. That'll mess up your day. So uh, this was a very, very entertaining show. We, we went through a lot, and I suppose a lot talking about entrepreneurship and the topic of, of writing books and the process to do that came up again. Yeah, second show in a row. Um, we've been talking to authors about their processes and writing books and coming up with their content, the the editing process, the and the kind of attachments you have to the words on the page and how difficult it can be to cut some of those out. Seemingly, I'm probably not as sentimental as some, although I have yet to go through the process, I suppose. But in my mind, I'm not, Paul. Yeah, I'd back that up. Yeah, if. Uh, <laughs> Something isn't essential. You, you don't be surprised to see it in a bin, including any kind of, you know, birthday cards or anything else you might give this man. <laughs> he doesn't care. I but anyway, that that's care, uh, but not anyway. The, well. No, it, it's a, uh, you know, you're uh, not. I'm. I don't know. Into I'm, I'm a uh, superficial things, I guess. Would you say that? Would you call a birthday card superficial? I guess you kind of could. Anyway, so Katie Corcoran, she's a digital brand strategist. Just uh, went from working with a in a full time job and transition. Uh, a full-time coach which is a transition a lot of people are struggling with so quite interesting to get her insight there and she also talks about the process of actually writing a book how you can go about getting more stuff done and how you actually then need to kind of look after yourself as well but i'm probably doing the podcast a, whole, a bit of an injustice there's a lot more in it so without any further ado uh, i'll hand things over to katie we have katie corcoran on the line from katiecork.com katie how the hell are you I'm doing great. How are you today? Fantastic. Delighted to be eventually able to get this one sorted. This uh, We did try and schedule an interview previously. We had some tech difficulties, which meant we rescheduled. So uh, delighted we could finally get it done and get you on the show. <laughs> That's all right. We got to talk for half an hour offline, so it was lovely. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, it was cool, it was cool crack. Paul, how are you, man? Yeah, very well, yeah. Uh, also happy to be here. I'm not traveling. I'm in a static location today, so that makes things all the better. Damn straight it does, damn straight. Uh, Katie, I suppose before we get into it, you might just give our audience a little bit of background on you, so kind of where you started and what you're at at the minute. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, it's funny. I talk about this all the time, and it's like I, I feel like I have so many titles and projects that <laughs> sometimes it's hard to pick just one that feels right, what flavor I'm interested in at that time. But uh, the, the bigger piece is that uh, I do create inspiring content, mostly for the lady that's on the go and or in transition, um, but I'm also a digital brand strategist. Nice and precise. I like it. And yeah. um, I suppose... And I obviously know a little bit of background, so I have some context on you, but it wasn't always the case. You did start off on advertising, if I'm, if I'm correct. I did. Yeah, I did. So I started uh, in advertising. I was in uh, an ad tech company for four years. I did sales there. Well, I actually grew um, uh, internally at the company. I was in more internal roles and then grew out a strategy and, and planning department. And then I moved into actually selling our technology, which was huge. But the, the company had kind of shifted to a place where it 
was very startup-y when I started and there was the opportunity to really influence growth and change. And then, um, you know, we started to get a bit more corporate, which is wonderful for the company. Um, but for my, you know, fulfillment and, and personality, I really liked that uh, kind of like getting in the weeds and wearing many hats and influencing change. And so uh, I ended up taking, I was working on a book project at the time and I ended up taking off and finishing the book. And I launched in the fall of 2015 and it's just been a series of, of content launches and coaching um, clients that are consumers, but also working with brands on their digital marketing strategy since leaving my more corporate job. Excellent. That is, of course, the book, She Makes It Work. Am I correct? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Um, right. Where do we start? I've so much I want to go into here. I mean, I'm, I'm going to call it out straight. I want to have a chat to you also about kind of the crossover from, from kind of the corporate gig to, to what you're doing at the moment in terms of your promotion strategy. So we might save that for a little bit down the line, but we'll, we'll jump sure. straight into the book because this is something I'm always eager to talk to authors about. Uh, but myself and Paul have spoken before about our, our wanting to, to write a book um, and it's something we have we have on the pipeline that we're looking at doing. So, I mean, in terms of how this book came around, Katie, what was your process for kind of or the, the real kick in the arse that you got to kind of say, right, I'm going to write this book and where did it come from? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I think the kick in the ass actually started when I was in college. Um, I'm now in my later 20s, but um, I remember graduating and telling a friend's, you know, a friend's mom was going around the the table as we were like all celebrating the graduation and eating cake and whatnot. And she was like, what is everybody going to do with their lives? And I remember saying something along the lines of, I want to write a book. And she, or I said, I wanted to at some point. And she looked at me and she was like, that's really hard. That's going to be really hard for you. And I was oh, like, was that one oh of those? Was that, was that one of those? <laughs> it's really hard to write a book. But I, I, I think personally, it'll be especially difficult for you. I don't know. I think it, I think it was layered with a sense of with a sense of judgment for sure. Um, right. But yeah, I mean, I think it was more that, you know, people are always like I also come from a coaching background. So, you know, people are always quick to to kind of throw the things that they're fearful of mm. onto other people. So I definitely got that sense from it. Um, but the kick in the ass, as you said, the kick in the arse, as you said, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I, uh, I, I took that information, sat on it for, you know, about five years and three or four, uh, maybe three or four years. And, um, then told myself like, okay, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to, you know, I, she doesn't even know that she did this, but you know, I'm going to prove this one statement to be wrong and I'm going to be, so you this mean you haven't taken the book this. back and like shoved it down her throat? <laughs> no, no, I haven't. I ah. haven't. And honestly, I don't even know if, if she would remember. This That's not the point. <laughs> That'd make me feel better. I know, right, right. It just st <laughs> sticks with you these things. And I was even in journalism school, so I had been writing, um, you know, quite a quite a bit at that time, and wrote it for my high school newspaper and everything too. Um, but yeah, so I at twenty six, I I had an opportunity to do a self publishing book course. In which case, I learned all about the ins and outs of uh, more of like the process type stuff for mm -hmm. having a self-published book actually get printed and published and how do you find editors and designers and all that good stuff. How do you deal with legal? And um, so therefore that research would not need to be required of me. And instead I could just focus on actually writing the thing. 
So uh, I would got nervous and and I thought to myself like, okay, well, I'll at least do it by the time I'm 30. And I sat back and I was like, what the F? Like, why do I need to wait until I'm 30? So I just, at 26, I had been coaching um, a number of post-college women in New York City, and I was coaching them through lifestyle choices and helping them kind of feel more fulfilled in their careers. And I discovered that many of them felt unfulfilled for, you know, a handful of reasons. Um, And I wanted to message and reach this audience and help them feel more uplifted from a larger scale. So I paused the coaching and Right around the same time, I got highly or heavily involved in the female entrepreneurial community in New York City as well. And so I was so inspired by those women that I was like, okay, collectively, there's enough here. There's enough research. There's enough learnings that um, I can build uh, some type of some type of story and recipe to be able to help those feeling unfulfilled to to know that life is okay, they're going to be okay, but also give them tips and tricks to to be able to implement immediately to start uh, feeling like they can thrive better in their so, life. So um, how did you actually um, start writing them? Was it just a case of kind of writing ideas here and there and organizing them? Or did you kind of have a good idea from the coach and, and, and your exposure to, to, I suppose, the women you're looking to help that, you know, you knew it, you just needed a set time to do it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I did need to set time to do it. Absolutely. Um, I am, my process has changed and evolved over time. Of course, at that point in time, it was many scattered thoughts. So anytime that I had like, you know, anytime that I had an idea, I would, you know, pull out my phone, pull out the notepad on my phone and just write, 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 write. And that really came to me you know, I was listening to some of your previous episodes and it's so interesting that many of us find our most creative moments are like walking down the street or in the shower or <laughs> right before bed or, and that is so me a hundred percent. I mean, and I think it's because us people who are content creators have busy minds and you, you think of the really, uh, the thing with the oomph, <laughs> like when you're not thinking. So, you know, you get to those places where you're really relaxed and all of a sudden you have this genius idea and that tends to occur. Yeah. Oh, I know one of your interviewees said when she was running. And for me, oftentimes it's a lot when I'm when I'm working out as well. So it's kind of when I'm maybe focused on something else that or something that's kind of just monot- uh, kind of going through motions. Literally, I, I start to have these creative ideas. So I would just like dart into a coffee shop and type it out on my computer or uh, you know, stand on the side of the street and write it into my phone. <laughs> like I had uh, many thoughts that that came up, and and over time, you know, as I as I started to build, uh, you know, more of what I wanted to say, it, it became, <clears throat> pardon me, it became more clear how to then, um, you know, organize that into a book. Excellent. I mean, look, that makes sense. And yeah, you know, that's something I'm guilty of. Always writing notes wherever I am. Probably too much stuff. But uh, it is surprising how much of it actually does get used, which is quite nice. Um, so, I mean, was it the case then, Katie? Was it kind of, you know, 6, 12, 18 months to put the book together? Was it longer? I mean, what was the process end to end for you? So it was longer. Um, and the reason for that is because I was working full time for the majority of it. So I found that uh, this it's funny, my book is about work-life balance. And one of the chapters I, I, I 
believe and I talk about as being very important is getting a good night's sleep. And while I was writing the book, I really wasn't sleeping a lot. <laughs> um, so I'm like fully, like full transparency. I was not following my own, not only my own advice, but the advice of, you know, the 20 plus people that I also included in the book. Um, well, that's an interesting point. Sorry to yeah. just jump in there, Katie. I no, mean, and this is something, and Paul, you'll agree with this because obviously you know me better than most, but even when we were uh, were working on our, our, our fantasy football business, we used to do predictions. And we'd spend, we'd, we'd churn out up to 40 pieces of content a week. Um, so we're constantly writing, you're constantly varying, looking at stats and making predictions about what's going to happen over the coming week. Mm-hmm. And I'd put these, these tips to be published and they'd come true. And my own fantasy team wouldn't have any of them in them. And Paul, you've said it to me before. You're like, well, you said that was going to happen. Why didn't you listen to yourself? And yeah. it seems that when other people give us advice, we take it on board. But even though we know we're right, we still don't tend to listen to ourselves enough, I think. Yeah. And it's interesting, yeah. again, there's something you point out that, you know, this is the advice you're giving to people, but yet you weren't able to follow it. Now, I understand at that point in time, there's varying reasons, but it's just something interesting to see that I'm not alone in that, that while I value yeah. other people's opinions and other people's uh, insight, sometimes I don't listen to my own enough. I think that's why you need a coach, really, isn't it? That's kind of the main the main value coaching brings. It challenges you and makes you actually make better decisions. So. Right. Um, there you go, Phil. You need a fancy football coach, so I am available if you need any help. <laughs> yeah, no bother, buddy. Do I get the friends right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll see oh, what we can do, great. you know? <laughs> no, it's true. I, I so I so believe in that. I mean, I I was, this is kind of a side note too, but I, in March, I, I spoke at uh, kind of like an inspirational women's weekend Um in the New York metro area. And uh, my topic that they wanted me to discuss was how to maintain focus when you're a multi-passionate person. And I mean, first of all, I put writing the speech off until the last week, but more specifically the last like 24 hours before, <laughs> before I had to discuss it. I mean, I was, I was going through in my head what I wanted to mm. say for months but I didn't actually put pen to paper, you know, typing on the computer to put the to put the um, presentation together until the day before. And, uh, you know, the first thing I said to everybody, I was like, I can't focus for shit. So it's amazing that I'm up here talking to all of you and telling you strategies to implement better focus during work. And yet I feel like I struggle with that. And so I don't know if it's one of those scenarios where it's like, you know, do like those who can't do teach or those who can't do figure it out and then teach it. Um, But yeah, do what I say, not what I do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I wouldn't say that any of us are really a master at at like anything. Right. And and all of us can be perfect at everything. But I thought that was kind of a funny, a funny point because it's true. I was like, well, at least on the outside. (laughs) looking in they're coining me as this this expert of of being multi-passionate and and focused so happy to happy to have have uh spoken to that for sure but um yeah so back to what you were saying earlier about the the process and the the time frame of things um it did take me it did take me two years to write the book i was working full-time i would go to work throughout the course of the day, you know, in the daytime and think, think about my book a lot. And, and, you know, there were, uh, you know, even nine times out of 10, I would say I would have intentions to 
work, you know, from 8 p.m. to midnight, let's say, on the book. And I wouldn't get my second wind until maybe 11 at night. And I would I would actually sit on the computer from 11 at night to 2 a.m., let's say, and crank out some ideas. And, you know, when you write a book, it's you I would yeah. say you you cut at least at least, you know, 85 percent of it. Um, at least on, on my end of things with, with my process. So it did take a lot longer than I thought. And there were, there were definitely, you know, segments in there. Maybe I, I remember one specific segment at the beginning of 2015 where I really didn't work on it for about three months and it was just sitting there. So the process that was, changes. That was necessary. Do you think maybe you needed that time away in order to complete that if you'd have pushed oh, yeah. through, perhaps it wouldn't have been as good as it is? Oh, Yeah. I needed it. I needed it. And that's not to say that I wasn't thinking about it and that I wasn't thinking and then stressing about it and then pressuring myself for not being farther along. But, you know, the biggest thing that I've learned since leaving my job is really trusting the process. And I, I think that's what you just kind of spoke to where it's like, look, sometimes we do have to detach. And when we detach, we, we got to grow, especially because this was in the personal development category. So mm. I had to like grow a little bit and then dive back into it and then teach about the thing. Um, you know, so sleep, that chapter was a hard one for me to write boundaries in the workplace or boundaries with your with your own um, ability to disconnect from work. That was a hard one for me to write because I just didn't feel like I knew how to do that yet. So I grew throughout the course of, of uh, you know, of, of writing this book. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's quite important, the boundaries piece that you talk about. And I remember, I think it was Peter Vu who had kind of picked it up from where he was kind of saying, you know, you want to be in the room 100% of the time that you can be focused. You don't want to be thinking about work when you're supposed to be chilling out. You don't want to be thinking about wanting to chill out when you're supposed to be working. So whatever you're doing, give that your 100% focus. And I remember that actually taking that away and finding that, you know what, if I switch off and I'm, I'm doing something that's not related to work, um, I'm actually happier for it. Then when I come back, I, you know, <laughs> dare I say, I actually nearly miss work. And I'm like, oh, geez, yeah, let's get back thinking about this as well. <laughs> and if you have a lot going on and you, I suppose you're, you're multi-passionate or whatever, you are absolutely going to struggle with that. But I think the key thing is that it's OK to take your phone out and to tap in an idea if you're, you know, engaged in activity, be it with family or whatever else. Um, but you know, don't be sitting there in front of the laptop trying to, you know, half write stuff and half be in the room with people because, you know, that's just no good for anybody. And that's something we see so many people fall into thinking they have to, you know, work every minute of the day when really, you know, you have to get good work done uh, over and focus over a period of time and then move on to something else. Really, I mean, that's yeah. why, why having a dedicated workspace, um, it, I I think is almost a must. That yeah. you need to have somewhere that you can physically associate with work. So when I'm in that place, it's work time. And once I'm not working, get out of that place, go somewhere else, you know, go hang with the family, friends, whatever it is. But you need to be able to, once you step through that door, that that's work. And I yep. think that's something people struggle with as well, because a lot of solopreneurs um, and small businesses will do a lot of work in the early hours of the morning. Like you, Katie, when you're writing your book, you know, they'll work from 9 to 2 a.m. But mm -hmm. they'll do it at home. And it's that mix of uh, environments that I think can cause problems. Oh, I totally agree. Absolutely, without a doubt. And I I love that you're bringing that up because I'm in a, a bit of a place right now where I'm realizing that I, in order for me to really 
um, you know, expand and, and be my most, my work at the peak of my ability, Mm. I do need an office space. And so I actually do work remotely. I work from home. I work from coffee shops. I'm meeting people throughout the course of the day, just as, you know, potential partners or, or coaching clients. And so I'm kind of darting around the city and, and as a result of that, I do find that it's, especially as somebody who now is learning how to embrace my creative after leaving something that wasn't creative, you know, I, I'm finding that if I don't have a des- designated area or a designated routine to almost like prepare for the mindset to be creative and be a content producer, mm-hmm. um, I kind of I kind of screw my head gets a little screwy and it's hard for me to transition into each segment of the day. Yeah. And I mean, that is a problem. And um, David Gilner was a podcast guest. I think it was episode 11. David was on and he, he is a playwright and an author and he does all of his writing in coffee shops predominantly. And he mm-hmm. loves that. He, he calls himself a social recluse. <laughs> But he said it's great because he listens to conversations. Anyone who's following him on social media, you'll see stuff from him throughout the day where he'll be sitting in a coffee shop writing a, a chapter on of a new play. And he'll hear, he has earphones in. It's a bit like um, the intern, yeah, the interns um, with uh, Vince Vaughn, where the, the, the head of Google, I think at the time, has earphones in, but there's no music playing and you can hear everything that's going on. But David seems to do the same thing. He sits in the coffee shop with earphones in to think everyone else thinks he's listening to music while he's typing away, but he's actually listening to their conversations. And he said it makes for the best storylines he's ever had for any of his plays. Oh, that's great. That's just phenomenal. <laughs> I love that. I used to do that in my old job, actually, so that people would <laughs> come over and, and <laughs> ask me anything. The earphones. <laughs> yes. I have these like huge, huge gold earphones that I wear all around, all around town. And uh, I, would, I would pop them on at my, at my desk in hopes that people would ask me something. And I'm like, nope, I'm not available right now. It's like, don't it's like your contact, way of going contact, in a private contact. <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah, the, it's, you know, it's such an office move, isn't it? I'll hide behind them. <laughs> monitor oh my God, there we it's go. so bad i've got worse, <laughs> but we have so i don't to want to do you. yours <laughs> oh everyone does it i don't know why I people know. don't admit it <laughs> right i mean we gotta be real here of course no but i think i think that that's that's great that you know your previous guest did that um but it I, doesn't work for everyone i mean it's it's up to yeah. the individual so i do think you need a designated workspace to help yeah. you become more productive i mean if we oh, take yeah. it on a step katie so Obviously, you're you're taking your time to you've taken a step away, as you said, you didn't really work on too much for three months, I think you said. Um, Yeah, during the book writing process. Yeah, I was working my full time job. So I was lucky in that, you know, I had consistent income and I could step away from the creative and not put pressure on like, you know, is the creative also the thing that's supposed to support my life? And if I can't work on it, this is prolonging my ability to make a paycheck and all that stuff. So I was lucky in that in that, uh, you know, from that standpoint but that is something that i that i do constantly think about now that i'm not at a at a full time more corporate job and yeah. and i and i'm still producing content and you know it's it's definitely i know you you talk a lot with your guests about how to measure that and and tools and strategies and all that good stuff but it's true it's like this constant um you know game and and debate that we have in our heads about how can we make our content the most efficient not only from an authentic perspective but also from some type of return on investment perspective yeah of course uh, yeah mm-hmm. there has to be an roi somewhere for everything you do 
um, whether it's monetary or not, you have to get something. It's again, I've spoke about it. It's an article I wrote on the site. It's a trade off between you and your audience. They get your knowledge and expertise for free. And in return, you have to get something. I believe, right. yes, you should always provide value. You should be giving, giving as much as you can to your audience, but you have to get something back because that right. little something you get back is the wind in your sail that gets you to the next piece and the next piece and gives you momentum to continue and succeed. Exactly. <sighs> exactly. There we go. So, I mean, obviously you've taken, yeah, you took some time out that worked out really well for you. And as I said, you, you felt that you probably needed that. And I, I'm looking at the book and, and, and everything you have laid out in it in terms of doing that, did you go chapter and then write what's the next chapter or did you have them all mapped out piece by piece? How did that work for you in terms of, which chapter goes where and making sure you could connect the dots for the reader. Yeah. So I knew that I knew that there were definitely themes that, that bubbled up pretty quickly. And, and um, it was really helpful that I did, you know, do research and then also include stories from 20 plus women who I have coined as lady hustlers. And the, the book is written about the lady hustler does this, then she does this and she believes this. And so it's written in third person um, like that. And and as I started to go through not only my own experiences and what I wanted to share, but also go through the research and the feedback from people, I quickly realized that, you know, the three main-ish categories that I wanted to reach are discussing how she's an ultimate goal setter and planner and really adheres to, uh, you know, a a, real, a robust plan and then sticks to it. So there's a, the first chapter is all about planning um, and goal setting. The second chapter is about wellness. Um, my coaching does come from a nutrition and, you know, clear mind kind of, kind of background. Yeah. Uh, so I'm a whole, I'm was certified a holistic health coach. And uh, so wellness was a huge piece. And I did find that many of the, you know, the women featured were, we're saying that adequate sleep is important. Drinking water is important. You know, um, putting good foods in your body is really important so that you can be, have a clearer mind trying not to do too much partying and all that stuff. So yeah, that's, that's included. Helpful. I know, I know. It's like we're expected <laughs> to go to all these events at night and, you know, you want to have a little bit of liquid courage and even if it's networking or social, whatever the case may be. And then, you know, you have a full calendar the next day, you're kind of, in a sense, you, you you kind of set yourself back when you're so tired and potentially hungover. But hey, been there on like many occasions. Um, so that was a that was a the wellness chapter. It also talks about moving and making sure that you're getting in good sweat time. I, I have to work out in some way every day. It's just a part of my life. And I, I realize I get cranky if I don't. Um, and I'm not clear and it. it's just that release is, is really important. I talk a lot about that on even on my social media channels and through my podcast, too. Um, and then the third chapter talks about behavioral elements and and kind of like relationship elements too. not necessarily romantic, but just harvesting really positive, strong relationships around you so that you have a team of people that you want and a team of people that are your mentors and um, and then also that's kind of where the boundary stuff gets brought up and, um, establishing rules versus boundaries for yourself. And, and then the last chapter talks about like, you can be the lady hustler too. And it's very rah, rah, motivational and, Go get em. uh, yeah, exactly. Just do it. <laughs> no, it's yeah. excellent. I mean, 
So you kind of brushed upon the editing process there. Yeah. Um, our most recent podcast guest, Alison Canavan, spoke about this. Um, she wrote a book um, that was released. It's done really, really well. She actually, we should congratulate her. Um, she actually just won an award uh, this week from the Irish Bloggers Association as Book of the Year. Uh, so congratulations Yay. to Alison. Delighted for Congrats. her. But she, she spoke <laughs> about, um, about the editing, editing process and that she was glad she didn't know what she was in for until she was in it. How did you find it? I feel the exact same way. The editing process was such a pain. <laughs> it was so hard because you're so emotionally attached to what you're what you stated and you know, I would say some of my stalling was was coming some of my month-long stalls was coming to terms with the fact that, you know, a full chapter might not actually work for this book. And so having the you know, the guts to, and, and admitting yourself that you might have to scrap something that, you know, you put hours and hours and hours and hours and lost sleep and all this good stuff of work into is tough. It's really tough. So the editing process was, was its own animal that I could have never anticipated. And the editing process itself was, was actually, it, it that's by far took longer than coming up with the concept and the outline and, and writing the meat of the chapters. Yeah. It was tough. Yeah, yeah. I, I imagine. So I'm, as I said, I haven't done it yet in my mind. I, I well, I like editing the stuff I do anyway. Yep. Um, so in my mind, that piece may not be a problem for me. I can fairly well detach myself when I can read it. I can just go, that was shit. God. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But when someone <laughs> else is talent. editing it for you, Phil, you know, this is what it's going to come down to. Someone will be challenging you saying, no, take that out. And that's where you're going to run into this. <laughs> Maybe so. There, there could be some butting of heads at that point. <laughs> we'll wait and see. It'll make an interesting podcast episode when it happens, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I was I was listening to one of your shows this morning with Katya. Oh, and, yeah. you know, I think you mentioned that and I, I thought I found this to just be so wonderful because I didn't realize this as I was writing my first book. But I love how you said that writing is writing time, editing is editing time, and promotion time is promotion time. And like segmenting your process into those three specific groups. Because I found that as a new writer, I was not only thinking about the writing, but I was thinking almost every sentence that I would put down on paper not only would I edit it, but I would also think to myself, how can this be, how can this be promoted? How is this marketable? And when I was stuck in promotion zone while I'm writing the thing, it just, it, I just, I ran into so many roadblocks yeah. and I like that you talk about just being free flowing, let the writing be writing. And that way I think you can be a little less, a little less attached to it. Excuse me. If you've known that it's just you know, you need to tell yourself this flow. is draft yeah. one. This is <clears throat> yeah. just a draft. That's all it is. Um, and people get stuck um, in the finished product. Yep. And that's a big place that you don't want to get stuck in. That's a black hole that you don't want to open. You're just working on this draft. Then you're working on the next draft. Then you're working on your layout. Then you're working on your design. And you can dig down even deeper. And if these are, and I don't want to say lies, but if these are the stories you have to tell yourself to get through these, well, then that's how you need to label them. Um, oh, yeah. You know, and I used to do that. I mean, we'd be creating tons of content 
and I'd have a big to-do list of stuff that needed to get done that day. And every time it was just one more, just have to do one of this, just have to do one of that. It was never, I have 10 of this, I have 10 of that. It was always one more, one more, one more. I knew it still added up to the same number, but it helped me work through and tick one by one off the list as I went along. So maybe that might help some of you out there, just a way of looking at it and conceptualizing it in your own brain so that you're not getting a complete paralysis from the overall task. I like that. Yep. Time for a random question. How did you come up with the necklace idea? (laughs) That's a great, that's a great question. Uh, Oh, wow. So the cover itself became just as intense of a process as, as the writing, oddly enough. Um, But the cover, I think I went through maybe six different concepts that were, that were polar, you know, very, very different, all six of them. And then in between that, of course, I edited each one a gajillion times. Um, I, not my first iteration, but my second iteration actually had a really, really beautiful um, sketch of a woman and she looked super fashionable and she looked, you know, on the go. And, and it was, again, it was gorgeous, but she was Caucasian and I, I felt like I didn't, I didn't, I put a lot of thought into who I wanted the lady hustler to be, what I yeah. wanted her to look like, what I wanted her to own, what I wanted her to be attracted to, what I wanted her to represent. And, you know, I went through with the the wonderful girl who drew the illustration. I went through about like 60 edits with her. She probably wanted to kill me. But I but while I was working with her way, way along, you know, I was getting the last draft of it. And I thought to myself, I know why I'm pressuring her to change all these minor little things. And it's like, this isn't the cover. This isn't the right thing. She's Caucasian. The lady hustler is, is all types of people. Mm. You know, the lady hustler is identifiable, identifiable by anyone who feels like they're hustling and they're doing it all and they love what they do and they feel busy. And sometimes that busyness feels like a good thing. And sometimes it's stressful, but you know, I I didn't. The way you're want describing it, Katie, right I feel like I associate with the lady hustler. I'm oh, the lady hustler. I... You are the lady hustler. We'll have to get you. <laughs> well, you can know, I quote you on that, Phil. Of course you can. Yep. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> of course you can. But I mean, what you're saying, I appreciate the the demographic you, you you're kind of speaking to. But I I associate with all of that. And oh, not, yeah, you know, I'm not a lady, but I I get what you're saying. It's it. Do you know what it reminds me of? As you were describing it to me. It was almost like, and I don't know if you've ever read any of the Harry Potter books. My household is a big Harry Potter fan club here. I have, yeah. It's like when you read the books before the film came out. And in your mind, you have an idea what each character looks like. Yep. We make this up in our brains. And then when the film came out and you've seen them on screen, you're like, no, that's not what they look like. Yeah. They don't look like that. He should be shorter. He should have different shaped hair. It was just, that's to me what you were saying about the book design and the way it worked out and that's what it kind of reminds you of. It's like, I have an idea in my head. I have this vision. I don't know. Ex- I can't put it down, but that's not it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, no, I love that. You're so right. And it's true because I didn't, I didn't want it to not, well, in that case, you're let down, right? And mm. I didn't want my readers to be let down and, or not pick it up as a result of, of seeing this one type of this one type of look. Um, and so that being said, I, I thought I was like, okay, I need to find, I need to think of a symbol, some type of symbol that will fit on this cover that, that, that would be, that would be identifiable. And so 
much like we come up with our creative ideas like in the shower or walking around or after meditating or whatever we do, I think I was just walking around the city probably listening to some hip-hop song or something. And I thought to myself, a cursive gold necklace that says Lady Hustler, done. That's it. So I, I researched a million different fonts. I found a font that I liked. I found somebody on Etsy who would design a necklace based off of an image or anything that you send to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had a one, I had a sample of it sent to me. I had it shot uh, for, you know, I had some photographs taken of it. And about a year later, I had finished the the cover art. And when the book came out, I cannot tell you how many people said, yeah, 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 cool, cool. Book's all good. Where do I get the necklace? It's <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, Brilliant. let's get you the necklace. So now I actually sell the necklace as well. So I got my first, my first second copy <laughs> of the necklace back in February. And it was just such a liberating feeling. I was like, wow, somebody... Somebody identifies with this. Somebody wants to wear this. That's so cool. Um, Because there was only one of them for a year. So that's how the how the the cover photo came to fruition. Excellent. I really like. There's so many different things there. I think I know what Phil's going to be asking for for his birthday as well. So (laughs) all good. (laughs) Um, We are seriously. (laughs) (laughs) There you go never know what's next we are running store on time now thanks very much for staying with us for as long as you have katie phil have you anything else you'd like to uh to ask oh you know i've got that one question that you give out to me about go on go on throw it in there katie throughout everything um to where you are now what is the one thing you have learned and i'm looking for one i'm gonna put you on the spot you've learned over the years that you wish you knew before you started always trust your gut Boom, that's simple. Love it. Always. I could go off for about another 20 minutes on that one, but it's never wrong. And we doubt and doubt and doubt and doubt, but it's always right. Always right. And we always go back to it. There you go. Simple as that, folks. (laughs) You know you, so do you. Don't do anyone else. (laughs) Do you, lady hustlers. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Paul, any more? No, that I think uh, that is a very sound note to end things on. Uh, Katie, where can people find you? Yeah, excellent. Thank you. Um, yeah, you can find me on my website at katiecork.com. And my Instagram, I love Instagram. So I'm always posting inspiring photos there and sharing the necklace and people wearing the necklace. And so that's over at, uh, at Katie Quirk. And then I also have a podcast too. So I'd, I'd love to, for people to check that out. The podcast is called Badass and Bear, B-A-R-E. And you can find us at uh, badassandbear.com. And it is pretty badass. I have listened. <laughs> you have? Thank you. Of course you. I have. <laughs> Thank you very uh, much for that. We'll make yeah. sure to have links to all those in the uh, show notes, Katie. And of course, uh, for anyone who wants to check out that necklace, we'll put a link in there and a link to the book to go along with it. Uh, Katie, I really appreciate you making the time in your day to come and speak. To us. I've had so much fun. Um, <laughs> so I really I do appreciate pleasure. it. Thank um, so, so, so much. I didn't get to go near the promotion that I wanted to talk to you about. So I, I'm going to say it here and now. I will 
definitely have you back on and sooner rather than later because I want to dig into some of that with you. So uh, hopefully you might be good enough to grace us with your presence once again. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Super stuff. Well, listen, we'll leave it go for there. Thank you very much once again, Katie, and we'll chat to you soon. Thank you. And that was Katie Corcoran and the two latest lady hustlers are now in the room. Phil, what is up with it? I am a lady hustler. Yeah, yeah, you said it, huh? Or maybe I just be hustling them ladies. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's always something along those lines. Um, <laughs> all seriousness, though, very, very uh, entertaining show. A lot of value in there. And, um, you know, I think um, possibly our first guest to actually quote you. Yeah, I think that's possibly so. I'm I'm uh, humbled by that. Uh, it's certainly surreal i think you know obviously we're 25 26 episodes in at this stage and um it was something i wasn't expecting so credit where credit is due to katie she knows a good thing when she hears it can't complain there there you go yeah writing is writing time editing is editing time promotion is promotion time just in case anybody missed that um i thought there was a couple of things that just jumped out and the two things most important for me were you know the final piece of advice you know always trust your gut and also you know earlier on in the show she mentions you know trust the process you know we put a plan in place and then basically we go off to execute the plan easy to get distracted and go do different things and kind of get disillusioned and think um, that you're not going to get there but you've got to trust in what you're doing and that is something which I think um, a lot of people especially in the online space when creating content tends to forget about yeah, I think it is. I think when we start out projects, we have this great plan in place. And I'm not talking about unrealistic plans. I'm just talking about a, a down-to-earth, simple plan that you've crafted that you, you are confident you can execute on. And sometimes we get drawn away from that by either seeing what other people are doing or what's going on in the market. Now, don't get me wrong, sometimes you need to react to your market. But if you waver from that plan, like Paul says, you get distracted, the process takes longer and it draws out and eventually it either doesn't get done or it's not done correctly. So again, credit to Katie, she she understands that, you know, execution is the game. It's it's not just about a plan and having an idea. You don't execute, it's still just an idea. Yeah, absolutely. And um, another topic then, work-life balance. I mean, a lot of this came out of her, her book, which she's released. Um something which i think we've all at certain stages been you know guilty of working a little bit too much uh, and i suppose it's kind of sometimes can be unusual to use the word hustler and working too much in the same um, sentence but essentially you know you need to break things down and actually have work time you know you know chill out time family time whatever it is so that you're 100 percent in the moment and uh, again we see another person kind of emphasize that point yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's crucial to get that balance. And I was speaking to Katie about my opinions on having somewhere that you can associate with work and somewhere where you can just literally in, this is work, out, I'm done, I'm no longer working, I've been able to switch off and been able to have that disconnect, I think is vital. Um, so certainly if you're someone who struggles with that, maybe if you don't have the luxury of having an office space, maybe it's just a certain area within your home that you can associate as your workspace and it's when you go there it's work and then just step away go to you know into your, your sitting room or bedroom or wherever it might be somewhere else then that you can switch off and change over and every time you say the word work all i can think of is this pig i saw dancing on the internet saying work 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 to the rihanna song awful awful i want the link I send me a link i'm gonna put that in the show notes 
Yeah, yeah, dude. You'll watch it about 20 times. It's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, Big dances and perfect timing. Um, cool. So, I mean, a, a lot there. I, I mean, key things is, yes, writing a book is very, very difficult, but is is achievable. The editing process is something to watch out for. So I guess it's probably something where you uh, need to do your homework before you uh, decide to jump into it. But uh, if yeah, you... Yeah, just as well, in just on, on the, the, the book cover and how long that took Katie to do. You know, you think when you've, when you've got it written that it's written but obviously there's other elements that go into that so don't forget that you need to factor in time for these other things that are going to go on around your content and um, that aren't necessarily your writing editing or promotion so again the book cover but in katie's case it's also sponsored merchandise which is fantastic i love that idea yeah especially i mean when the the chain itself i mean it's more than a hundred dollars so you would you would hope there's some there's some decent markup on that and again people love to identify with brands that's why we mm. see so many people get t-shirts out for example you know i mean how many joe rogan uh, t-shirts have you seen of the death squad going around you know yeah, most yeah. people don't know what they are but when you do there's a little bit of a nod of the head i was walking down london i had mine on i saw someone else i was like hey what's happening you know uh, and it's basically everybody wants to be part of a tribe and especially when you're uh, you're giving people the opportunity to to kind of show and identify themselves that is very, very cool to be able to give that to somebody as well. So, um, look, I, it's very, very nice. I like it. And uh, doubled up, it's got the book cover, so there's not even any advertising really needed. So, yeah. um, perfecto. But all in all, as we said, we didn't get into everything we wanted to get into, so we'll have to arrange a, a follow-up show. Oh, I'm definitely getting um, back on. I want to talk about some of the other stuff. Um, so we'll try and organize that sooner rather than later. So if, like me, you're a little bit disappointed we didn't get to some of the other stuff, don't worry, we will get Katie back on and go through some of that with her because um, that lady will hustle and I think on that note we will end it there so Phil anything you want to share anything you want to call out yeah just the show notes folks you can get all of today's show notes at content.academy forward slash episode 26 for today's show notes but uh, until next time have a great day thanks again to Katie and Paul mate I will see you soon yes you will ciao